0: We all have to take a a, a step up. Wherever we were in in the spectrum, we got to take a step up. And if everybody takes a step up, we'll make some improvements.
1: Hello and welcome to Region Ahead, a podcast from SEMCOG, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments. On today's episode, we are discussing the economic development strategy for Southeast Michigan. This is a joint effort of SEMCOG and MAC the Metropolitan Affairs Coalition. In the episode, we have an interview with Sandra Donello, a MAC board member and CEO of Flagstar Bank, as well as Laura Kropp, mayor for the city of Mount Clemens. They are each co-chairs of the Economic Development Task Force, which is currently working to develop the strategy. Before we get to that interview, we'll get a quick primer from Kevin Bitrano, who is manager of Economic and Community Vitality for SEMCOG. Kevin, welcome.
2: Thanks, Trevor, and great to be here. As you mentioned, we are developing a regional economic development strategy for Southeast Michigan, and this really is a roadmap for economic success for the region. We're looking at both our current successes, what has gone well, what has made our region prosperous and strong, as well as the challenges we face, both within our own regional economy, but how are we positioned globally? What are the things that we need to be doing to ensure that prosperity is being achieved across the seven county region?
1: So you mentioned that that part of the strategy is figuring out how to address challenges. Well, in case you were feeling short on challenges, 2020 came through for you uh, with both uh, a global pandemic and a reckoning to uh, social and racial justice, neither of which have we seen the likes of at least in my lifetime. So how are current events um, taking precedent within this
2: strategy? Excellent question, and you are correct. Um, We kicked off the the development of this strategy um, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, and needless to say, a lot has changed. Um, We've rebooted the focus of the task force that we have together in creating the strategy as well as the strategy itself. So we know that we need a strategy that encourages and promotes shared prosperity for all. The things that we can do to ensure that all residents um, have opportunities uh, within the region, as well as how do we ensure public health? Things that have changed probably more so than anything else over the last few months is a, a renewed focus on healthy residents.
1: Okay, so an economic development strategy is a, is a pretty big idea. There are a lot of factors involved. Who are you talking to and how are you organizing this information in a way that uh, it actually is going to make sense and, and be something that you can implement?
2: We've launched an economic development task force, which is made up of elected and appointed leaders on um, the public sector. So think about the, your mayors and city council folks, as well as the public and private sector um, businesses and stakeholders, those that are on the ground ensuring that our businesses are strong. Um, this task force is charged at developing this regional strategy. And what we've been looking at across the region are three major pillars of our economy, and those being place, business, and talent. When we talk about the importance of place, it really is what are the things that people want in locating, what do businesses want, what is the quality of life within the region? Are we providing the amenities that residents want that's gonna keep them there, as well as attract them to Southeast Michigan? Second is business. Ensuring that we have a strong business climate is vital for sustaining our region, but also encouraging a stronger economic growth in the future. This is ensuring that our small businesses and our large corporations have the support they need to grow and thrive in the region. And third, it's talent. This is really kind of the crux of it all. Do we have the residents, and the workforce to meet today's challenges, but also to develop um, an entrepreneurship spirit for folks to grow current businesses and really lead us into the next century.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much, Kevin, and I sincerely wish you all the best of luck on developing this strategy. And now here's my interview with Economic Development Task Force co-chairs Sandro Danello and Laura Kropp. Sandra Danilo is president and CEO of Flagstar Bank since 2013. He is a board member for the Metropolitan Affairs Coalition and the winner of a humanitarian award from the Michigan Roundtable for Diversity and Inclusion, a Courage in Leadership Award from the North Oakland NAACP, and he's won the Partner in Progress Award from City of Pontiac, awarded by Mayor Waterman at her State of the City address on June 26th. Other recipients included Warren Evans, the executive of Wayne County, and Representative Brenda Lawrence from Congress. Laura Croft, in addition to being the mayor for the city of Mount Clemens, is a former school board trustee and city commissioner. She serves as a delegate on SEMCOG's General Assembly and Executive Committee. She's also a business owner with her husband. And now here's that interview. You know, when we think about the the economic development strategy for for Southeast Michigan and those three pillars of... Place talent and business climate what's on your mind right now um, when it comes to developing this strategy and and some of the real priorities that that need to bubble up in, in the task force conversations as as well as the final document itself.
0: Well, I don't think there's any denying the fact that some other metropolitan areas have had some better success with economic development than we've had in Southeast Michigan. So. Um, what I do in my business is I I try to look at who's been successful and learn from what they've done and how that might be different from what we've done. So I think that's what we've got to do, you know, we've got to, we've got to see what's happened in other areas. And And I think what you find, if you look at some of the other areas that have had better success than us, and I mean, in the Midwest. So I'm not getting into, you know, some fancy growth areas, but right here in the Midwest, it's where there's been better cooperation between private and public. Uh, And that's, I think, why we've got Laura and me here, because we're trying to get the business and the government side of things to help, you know, get everybody to work together in a better way going forward. So to me, I think that's the big key is we've got to get better cooperation between the private side and the public side and make sure we understand what's worked in other areas and not try to reinvent the wheel, but, but get it done here.
1: Absolutely. And Laura, how about you? What's really on your mind when you approach the topic of economic development?
3: I would say that um, what has recently been on my mind with economic development is looking to try to avoid, um, you know, furthering the pain of the last few months, but in, instead be innovative and and try to um, kind of predict, even though <laughs> that's been been pretty difficult lately, but really try to predict what we can what we can forecast for the next few months or uh, prepare as best we can in, in terms of city government, you know, we have no idea what the next next 6 months will look like for our budgeting process. But, you know, there are also things that we can do on a city level and, you know, and 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 on up, I should say um, that put us in a place um, where we were preparing for um what we know is to be a recession for a while while. so um but then what will it look like afterwards and so i think i think sandro um hit the nail on the head when he talks about collaboration and um diversifying workforces and you know really preparing for um things that we already knew we needed to do um and work more on Um, but taking the time that i think we've been given here to really put those things into into place.
1: And so, Sandra, you mentioned the importance of of collaboration between government and business and uh, I imagine in in your role on the board of the Metropolitan Affairs Coalition that's probably one of the areas where you've had an opportunity to explore the possibilities uh, of building those relationships and and what it can mean. I wonder if there's anything in addition to looking at things that have happened in other regions with economic development if there are any things you'd like to highlight in your relationships here, getting to, to work across sectors?
0: Well, I think that the MAC board and the SimCOG board and the task force that Laura and I are co-chairing are efforts to bring networking together. So it's to get the ideas to the table and get the people that are interested in investing their time in together so that we can exchange ideas and, and try to facilitate getting that private and public partnership to be effective. And, and you, you need people that really want to make that happen, that are willing to invest their time to do it. And I think that, uh, you know, that's what these groups are. They're, they're facilitators. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to get all of us to put our heads together and, uh, and allocate some time and energy and resources and, and f- try to figure it out. You know, and you've, you gotta have a plan, you gotta have goals and you gotta have objectives and when you've got two different types of organizations that need to come together, somebody needs to facilitate that. And I think that's the, the role that both MAC and SEMCOG are trying to play.
1: For sure. Laura, I know that you're, uh, just like Sandro, a very busy person
3: as mayor of Mount Clemens. Not even guess. close to Sandro. <laughs> not even close to as busy as Sandro.
1: <laughs> well, no- nonetheless, as as mayor of of Mount Clemens and as a parent and a business owner, there is plenty on your plate. So with all those responsibilities, um, what is the value to you of of taking some more of your precious time and putting it into an organization like SEMCOG or, you know, like Sandra said, working on this task force with economic development?
3: Uh, A a couple of reasons. One being, I think when you are in a small municipality um, and, you know, Mount Clemens is not not to say we're the smallest city, uh, but When you're in a small municipality it's very easy to 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 feel like you're an island you know to feel like you you are the only one who is experiencing this problem or having this sort of challenge and so SEMCOG really provides an opportunity to learn from you know not have to feel like you're recreating a wheel the wheel right Uh, why wouldn't you want to have a resource that you have a network of people that can that can help you you know, overcome challenges or just learn new things, um, and that's that's really what SemCog has has taught me is that to be able to reach out and and um, see our what I would say as our peers, but also have this network of resources. It's just been it's been so helpful, and I think too when you know you can't possibly run a city or an organization a small business a large business by yourself a leader always is responsible for bringing the outside resources in and and identifying what is um valuable of the organization's time and and resources and so i think that um semcog and the limited time i've worked with mac that's been something that's really i think very val a valuable resource to our city especially
1: another thing I'd, i'd like to ask each of you is you know, about mid March or so is when COVID really sort of took took center stage and and changed life for for many of us. Uh, I'm wondering for for each of you in, in your leadership roles, what are what are sort of the the biggest challenges you faced? And you know. The the more people I talk to, no matter what their role is professionally or personally, it seems everyone's had to pivot in some way and, and figure out a, you know, how to make things happen under these new trying circumstances. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've learned in, in the past few months about what's possible.
0: Okay, I'll start. Uh, so a couple of things come to mind in terms of the, the challenges that you're faced with in, in a, a situation that you can't really anticipate you know, for for me, the two things that, that come out most strongly, and there's been a lot of challenges, but the two things were early on when we really didn't know what was coming at us as a financial institution that works with some pretty sophisticated financial instruments that we use, you know, to hedge billions of dollars of business that are going on at any given point in time. When the Fed was intervening the last couple of weeks in March, the The financial markets were topsy turvy, and uh, and we felt like we were dodging asteroids uh, literally all day long for you know two two and a half weeks. So that was hard, and we had to make some very difficult decisions, and we had to make them quickly. And uh, that's where you know the value of having great a great team comes into play, and you understand that that without having the right people and People around you that can help you make good decisions. You're going to be in trouble. So, as I look back on it, I don't have any. I don't second guess any decision we made, and and it, and it's all playing out very well for us uh, in terms of our, our company. The other thing that is very very different um, is, you know, as a CEO of a company, you have a. You're you typically worried about the financial health of the company, right? That's that's your big burden. What's the financial health of the company? And then all of a sudden, in this case. The burden of the health of 4,700 people, and you're trying to figure out how the heck do I keep people in in a safe place. And you know, you've seen companies that have had outbreaks, and and you you bad situations have happened in different parts of our country. I'm proud of the fact that we got 4,700 people across the country, and we've had very very few people that have tested positive. And to my knowledge, nobody that actually contracted it at a Flagstar workplace so there's one thing i'm you know thankful for and blessed for is that we've been able to you know keep our people healthy and put them in the best situation possible to keep their families healthy that That's something i've never experienced in my career and i've been in, I've been in this business for forty four years man, so that's saying something when you haven't encountered something before
1: yeah that's fascinating. I mean, who thought at the beginning of the year that how much any of us was going to be thinking about public health and our our responsibility? You know, just to—I I mean, I think about the responsibility for the people around me. But what a position to to all of a sudden be thinking not only about the, you know, prosperity and productivity of 4,700 people, but also just keeping them safe in a way that we never had to consider before. So that's that is an ama- amazing perspective. How about you, Laura?
3: There was a time um, I think within the second week after uh, the governor had executed the stay-at-home order where I was walking in our downtown and every single business was closed and it was the afternoon <laughs> and every single business was closed and no one was out there. And I thought to myself, I have to keep 16,400 people alive and we have to eventually reopen these businesses <laughs> and and the enormity of that, right? Um, and I think what it really taught us um, well, was the value of every single person? Because I felt that you know every single person in Mount Clemens, you know, you you had to make you had to make decisions quickly based on on the goal of you know at least having that many people in the end. So it was it was um, that was really uh, really daunting in the beginning um, because it felt that felt very extreme. And like, unlike anyone else, and I think I've mentioned before in other interviews that um, there was no playbook and that was really difficult. There was nowhere to look to say, okay, this person or this organization did it this way and it was successful and I'm going to emulate that. So that was difficult. Um, But then I guess it took some pressure off only being mayor for four months. So I I could create it my way. Right? Um, (laughs) so So that was okay. But I will say um, one of the challenges was that government in general is never known to be nimble. <laughs> so um, there were many times when the new city manager of Mount Clemens and I looked at each other and said, well, we just have to do it. And uh, and kind of like a consequences, we'll figure that out you know, next week or under the new executive order. Well, we just, I mean, we had to make decisions quickly and that I think has now, um it's enabled our staff to be a bit more nimble and um a little quicker thinkers and that and that's that's been a positive outcome of it. Um it also I think brought our team together somewhat considering um you know we had all this new newness meet with myself coming on board and then a new city manager. So um I think it did help build our team. Um and at my our business I can only piggyback um what Sandro mentioned about having we had we have a wonderful team established at our um, our business and so that was you just really felt that on a larger scale so that was great
1: team that that we keep coming back to um, is that the idea of team you know I think part of what makes team so powerful is that in any given situation when you have a good team, you know, there are individuals on that team who are gonna step up in, in sometimes unexpected ways and the talent and dedication, you know, that you described Laura with, with folks uh, working for the city of Mount Clemens, um, you know, perhaps for for some people they, they've they tapped skills and abilities that they didn't even know that they had, you know, some sometimes the crisis can bring out the, the best in people. I wanna segue a little bit to uh, another another sort of crisis, if, if you will, uh, that's occurred in some places in, in 2020, which is sort of a, a reckoning for, for social justice. In, in some places, um, I think that has gone more positively than others. It's different from COVID because obviously it's something that didn't just start this year. This is something that's been that's been going on for a long time. So it's a little bit different from COVID in that not everyone is starting from square one. There are, there are places and communities and and businesses that have been making efforts to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive for years now. And, and I think um, one, one positive that hopefully we'll be able to take out of 2020 looking back is that this was the year when a lot of places started to catch up. And I know that in the first reboot meeting for the Economic Development Task Force, that was something that both of you spoke about and what your experiences have been in that area. And so Sandra, I wonder if we could come back to you and uh, you could you could share any of your perspective on that.
0: Yes, uh, happy to, because I think this is a really important uh, topic. Um, so our company has been deep in diversity and inclusion for quite some time. And, and I think we've made a lot of progress in our organization and getting people to understand how important I feel it is for, for the company to to be diverse, to be inclusive, to be, you know, representative of the people that we are serving. So um, I feel like we, we were probably ahead of, of a lot of places. Because if you look at our company, look at exe- as an example, our executive team, it's very diverse. I mean, we have men, we have women, we have minorities, and that's not typical for a bank. But that said, we all have to take a, a, a step up. Wherever we were in, in the spectrum, we got to take a step up. And if everybody takes a step up, we'll make some improvements. Because what, what I found in our company, and, and as I talk now, as I'm trying to go out as a, as a, a, a CEO that has led this kind of a sea change in an organization, the, what, the people that haven't done it largely haven't done it because they don't really understand um, concepts like unconscious bias and privilege. If you don't really understand those concepts, it's hard for you to say to yourself as a leader of a company, well, we should be doing this or we should be doing that because you don't get it. And and so it's a real educational process. This is the opportunity that I think what's happened here with the killing of George Floyd has done. It's opened up everybody's eyes. It's made everybody think about it more. And so it's a tremendous opportunity, I think, to advance the cause uh, around improving the injustices that are out there because there is such a light shining on it, but we can't let the opportunity pass. If we stop talking about it, it will pass, and we'll be right back where we were before all of this happened. And, and, and look, there's a lot of bad stuff going on here right now that, that doesn't advance the cause, and that's in part because people don't believe you know, that there's really going to be change. And so as leaders, whether you're a leader of a company, a mayor of a city, um, whatever you do, if you're in a leadership position, you've got to drive it. If you don't drive it, it's not going to happen.
3: I, I just look at it as an absolute responsibility in all aspects of our of of my life of our life in terms of um, you know how we're raising our children to be conscientious of that privilege. So I think that as a leader, if I have one goal, it's to make sure that all the voices in my city are heard, right, and all of the needs are kind of universally met. In terms of being able to say this neighborhood is, is a priority of the city just as much as this neighborhood. And so, thankfully, when I came on board as mayor, we started that process by um, some of our boards and commissions that weren't that uh, we had neighborhoods that were not represented on any board and commission. We have um, over 115 positions within the city. Um, for example, like the Planning Commission, Zoning Board of Appeals, things like that, where um, the mayor appoints those positions, and not one person um, from two of our neighborhoods was represented. And so I made sure that that was one of my first actions. Is that and and they were our uh, primarily African American neighborhoods, and so you know we made sure that, that that was taken care of, and just being conscious of those. Of those inequities and and making sure that and and the excuse has always been well they don't apply for these boards and commissions so um you know i went out and recruited people you know it's if i can't i can't stress enough that we won't fix the problems if the people who are having the problems aren't included in trying to tell you know help us with the solutions so so yeah, I keep looking at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to help be part of the solution.
1: Well, I think that is pretty good calling card of leadership. So I'm glad to hear that's the approach that our <laughs> one of our task force co-chairs is taking. Um, so when it I want to bring things back to to the Semcog Mac Economic Development Task Force now um, before we before we close out. As I mentioned earlier, the, the task force um, took a little hiatus um, as everyone figured out what was going to happen with this uh, global pandemic, but then came back together in July and amongst other things talked about, um, you know, what, what needs to happen in our regional economy so that the prosperity that is generated, the, um, the opportunities that are generated through, through our regional economy um, are, are there for everyone, you know, and that's, and that's what, one of the things to talk about when we talk about um, equity or, you know, inclusion. So you know whether it's about that or place, talent, um, you know the the business climate in our region. What are you hearing as as we kind of come back together um, as a task force? What are what are you hearing that has been of interest as we move forward in in terms of, of possible solutions um, to to keep our region on the right track?
0: Look, I, f- I think we as I think one of you said earlier, we're in a different world today. I think when you think about economic development, we're going to have to figure out how this new world changes how we think about economic development. It's probably something Laura has spent more time thinking about than I have. What I do know is it is going to be different, right? Workforce is going to be different because people are going to feel like the uh, universe of their workforce is broader than it used to be. If you're not in a manufacturing environment where you've got to be in that facility working, if you're a bank or or, or a mortgage company or or an insurance agency, you know theoretically your people could be anywhere. So, I think uh, as we look at workforce development, we got to re- we got to reshape our thinking, and uh, and so therefore, uh, when it comes to the unemployment issues in your area, like we know that there's a high unemployment rate for minorities in the city of Detroit. We know that we have a uh, an aging population in Southeast Michigan. So how do the, all of those factors that I know were on the minds of everybody involved in economic development, how does your thinking change? The good news is what I saw in those uh, breakout groups is that we've got a, a wide range of, of, of um, of expertise and uh, a lot of experience. And we've got young people, we've got older people. It's a really broad spectrum of people that have volunteered to be part of this task force. So, uh, and we've got great leadership at both MAC and SEMCOG. They, these are very seasoned people and you can see the wheels are turning. They're trying to figure out how how does this change, how, how we think about things. So, um, and smarter people than me that, that work in economic development are uh, putting their thinking caps on. What we'll try to do is to drive the results because you've got to have a plan. If you have goals and you have objectives and you have uh, you have a, you, somewhere you can go. And if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. So, um, so I would summarize it by saying we know that we need a plan. That was the whole idea at this when we started this thing was to put a plan and a path towards success in place. Now we've got to adjust it a little bit to think about how the the everything around us has changed. And and I'm confident that we'll be able to do that. I was very, very encouraged by our by our last meeting.
3: Yeah, I feel it was, you know, really a an opportunity to to actually reboot. And I thought that it was amazing the Semcog and Mac staff. I mean, not only did they bring different people to the table, because knowing that we needed different expertise now. Right. It really um, it it changed the face and the and the makeup of the economic development task force and the members of that. And I think that was an incredible shift that they were able to to manage that and get the right people. Um, When I was you know kind of bouncing around and uh, listening to the rooms, the people in there were I think the right people. They were having the dialogue that I think will lead us to a great plan. That's something that I think as co-chairs, Sandro and I, we can be proud that our names will be part of that plan because it won't look as though we started a plan prior to the pandemic, never adjusted because we were on a certain trajectory and ignored what was happening around us. Instead, um, we adjusted. And um, I mean, the data that was given by Schwinn, and gentlemen from I think University of Michigan. They were both. I mean, it was just obviously, again, as Sandra said, uh far more intelligent than I. <laughs> they were. But the data was was fantastic and and I mean staggering. But I was just so happy that we were able to get that kind of result um in those few months whenever when the world changed. And and I was glad to see that the task force changed with it. And so um yeah, it was it was a great reboot.
1: Sandro mentioned something really interesting just now that I, I've heard a couple of times, which is one of the ways that that you know businesses and employers have had to think is about um, if they're trying to attract talent, for instance. One of the big components of that is what is it like to live here. Well, suddenly for a lot of our workforce, they that may not come into the equation anymore if if more people are working remotely, which they are, and by all indications will continue to be working remotely. Not everyone, but a lot of people will. So are there any other things like that um, that you're interested in, in diving more into as, as these task force conversations continue?
0: So I would say one thing that we knew before was important, but maybe becomes even more important now is technology and you know, where our area stands in, in, in the tech world. And uh, because, I mean, I know in our own company, we're trying to figure out now, how do we advance the things that we had planned for some time down the road? How do we bring that forward? Because I think in terms of how we operate our businesses, we're five or 10 years uh, down from where we thought we'd be. And and so if you don't have the technology to, to keep up, you're going to get passed by. Right? So I think, um, That's always been an area that I think our, that Southeast Michigan has been a little behind in. Um, You know, there's some pockets that are, that are strong, but, but I think, um, I think that's one thing the task force needs to highlight even more going forward is, you know, where, where is this area when it comes to technology? And it gets to things as that, that to many of us are as simple as the internet, like, does everybody have access to the internet? And because if you don't, you're you're not, you're going to be shut out of a lot of job opportunities, and and maybe it, it came home to roost for me more than I understood when we moved four thousand people remote over the course of a week. There were about ten percent of our people that didn't have internet, and I had no I would have never guessed it that there would have been that many that didn't have internet. And so then we had to figure out how to get it for them. And you know that the parts of our economy here in Southeast Michigan, people do not have access to it or can afford it. So I, I think that's a big, big topic that we hadn't been talking about that enough that we're gonna have to talk about more.
1: That's a, absolutely a great one, whether it's work or school, I think a lot of us have spent the last couple of months realizing the future is here, we better, we better catch up.
3: i I think the same um you know we we didn't have any employees working from home prior to prior to covid and at the city our company we have you know offices in other states and things so we've had to deal with teleconferencing and things um so it was okay but um but at the city level uh, we we too had the issue with um internet availability and i think it's just kind of it started our thinking in terms of when we're doing infrastructure upgrades, you know, what, what will infrastructure at a level of um, you know, broadband and and um, just having all kinds of different discussions on how we can um, make it more accessible for people and how uh, being residents and then also um, how can we put in the infrastructure um, to be a more cutting edge type of um, city. And I will say, I think it helped um, at the polls last week for our city because um, we have, you know, our resource. We have actually the oldest library in Michigan. I don't know, not many people know that. And our building really reflected that. And uh, (laughs) so our library board was going out for a millage request. And, you know, there were so many people who kept saying, you don't need a library anymore. You don't need a library because, of course, people say people don't read books. But then I think when when the world was shut off to other people and they realized how much of a of a resource the library is for people, for technology and for community um, connections, then they were it was a glaring you know when uh, when they didn't have that resource, boy were they missing it. And so it passed by I think sixty four percent people voted yes in our community, which is a Pretty resounding yes. So we were excited about that, and um, I think the community is showing that they're willing to put their resources, you know, towards towards those initiatives uh, and making us a world-class city. I think that that's encouraging.
1: Thank you both so much for your time and and for working through the technical issues. Really appreciate your patience.
3: Thank you for having us, Trevor. This has
1: been SEMCOG's Region Ahead. Thank you for joining us as we consider the important issues that affect Southeast Michigan. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can learn more about SEMCOG's regional planning work, including the economic development strategy, as well as what we are doing to support local governments during the COVID-19 pandemic at SEMCOG.org. Thanks again to Mayor Laura Kropp and Sandro Danello for joining us. Be safe, you well.